0: Have no fear, sirs. Your king is safe. No thanks to you. Even now, I could cut through the five of you as easy as dagger cuts cheese. If you would serve under the Kingslayer, not a one of you is fit to wear the white. Here, boy, melt it down and add it to the others if you like. It'll do you more good than the swords in the hands of these five. Perhaps Lord Stannis will chance to sit on it when he takes your throne. Welcome to the White Book Podcast, the original A Game of Thrones LCG podcast. Founded in 2010 as Two Champs and a Chump, we thought it was best to rename and rebrand ourselves as the game did so with a second edition. Now we are the White Book Podcast, and each week we bring you your dose of strategy insight, and all around geeky goodness. A huge thank you goes out to Fantasy Flight Games and George R. R. Martin for this game and world we love, but more importantly to you, our listeners. Please consider supporting us on Patreon so that we can continue to make this show the best it can, and I promise we have big plans for the future. This is The White Book. All right. Harsh words from Barristan Selmy.
1: They are harsh. We have a saying in California, firm but fair. And uh, maybe it's applicable here.
0: We have a saying in California. How how long have you been in California now, Buzz?
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say, that begs the question, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? You know, the big questions of life. But Wow. But my name is Buzz, and... Uh, I've been playing Thrones for a long time. I started in Tulsa in 2012, and I moved to California in October of 2015. So it's been about 18 months. Can you believe wow. it? Wow!
0: Yeah, time flies. Well, uh, thanks for joining me and for uh, making me think about Red versus Blue for a moment there, if uh, you or the listeners have ever watched that.
1: I was thinking that you were talking about the tournament of the trident and actually green oh. is the correct answer there so i was definitely <laughs> confused
0: no it was a uh, it's a web series a machinima series done with halo it's a comedy and it's amazing and you should check it out but uh if you've ever played you know the original xbox 1 halo that's what they're using at first and you know the the classic deathmatch uh canyon map there's a part where two characters are talking to each other and one of them saying something along the lines of man do you ever you ever wonder why we're here and the other guy goes off on this long thing about you know these life questions and you know how it really keeps them up at night and the the first guy goes no i just meant here in this box canyon so anyway your big life questions made me think of that
1: yeah well some of us are bigger than others i guess sure enough
0: <laughs> well I wanted to to get with you on this particular topic because I knew in the past you've uh, you've had some fun with some of the more flavor aspects of the game and I'm or I'm trying to uh, bring a little little focus back to the the novels here and there as we can in the show so you know I've been reading different things uh, conspiracy theory articles and and histories off and on to look for some stuff. And and one I read recently was about Sir Barristan the Bold. And it uh, it kind of got me thinking about things and you know, as as kind of a Targaryen fanboy, uh, as you might say for yourself. And myself being a Lannister fanboy, I, I guess started getting curious about Sir Jamie Lannister versus Sir Barristan the Bold. And uh, or Sir Barristan Selmy, if you want his real name. And I started just kind of really debating and thinking about like, well, you know, who's actually the, you know, the better, better man here or the or the hero or more heroic uh, or even potentially better swordsman. But I, I feel like there's a lot of parallels between
1: them. What do you think, Buzz? Man, I love this topic. And firstly, I think that you invited me on to talk about the world of Song and Ice and Fire because I never play the card game. You know, I haven't been at a tournament in like eight months also or something. True. So how did you write about it for FFG? <laughs> oh, that's true. I, I I emailed Evan and asked that, if he wanted somebody a- to write about Tark, and he said, yeah, that sounds great. And that's, uh, in fact, I might have even hit him up on Facebook, which you shouldn't do. I don't encourage using people's personal Facebook for work means, but uh anyway, I do play. I play some online. I do play some in home, but I haven't been out to a tournament in a while. So I like to make fun of myself and the Bay Area meta likes to make fun of me as if I don't exist. But but the world is what brought me into the game. Like my friend gave me a corset and it was too complicated for her and she says, this will be the kind of thing that you like. And then I realized it was uh, you know, an intellectual property and I went to Barnes & Noble and I bought the set and my wife was out of town for like a week or two and I read all the books in like six days and I was like, this is amazing. Nice. So only things you can do when uh, your wife is out of town. <laughs> so true. I don't know. And then down the rabbit hole of the conspiracy theories online and then I do watch the show. And uh, all these kind of literary questions and character-based type questions and how do the protagonists change over the course of the story is very interesting to me. In fact, there's a guy out here named Matthew Lunn, and he comes to our church and is a Pixar storyboarder. He He actually doesn't work for Pixar any longer, but he did things like Toy Story and Cars and, you know, small independent films. And he would tell you that if you want to see who the main character is look and see who undergoes change that's your protagonist interesting and so as with any literary heuristic it's limited but i think in especially in jamie's case his character arc is extremely riddled with change Uh, barristan also and i think they're a bit more subtle i'm very into the concept of literary framing as well and reversals and uh there's a little teaser. I think there's a really pretty big one between Jamie's pre-book character and Sir Barriston's book five character. So make sure I don't forget to tell you what that is when the time. Is I right. think we
0: should we should probably go ahead and clarify to listeners. By the way, this is going to be a spoiler zone. We haven't really uh, discussed any specifics yet, but uh, hey, if you if you don't want to know. Any sort of big reveals or topics from, from the novels or the TV series and speculation on the future, by all means, go ahead and skip what will probably be 15 to 20 minutes in the future uh, in the episode and listen to us talk about uh, ETX with Alex uh, Black later. But uh, for right now, we're going to feel free to get out in the weeds, as it were.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. And I appreciate you always being mindful of that one person who loves Game of Thrones LCG enough to listen to your podcast and can't be bothered to read the books or so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You are, you are kinder <laughs> than the average bear will. <laughs>
0: uh, me and Yogi, we go way back. So should, should we uh, should we go ahead into the, the point you were alluding to there, Buzz?
1: Or is there some other stuff you want to hit before? Let's begin at the beginning. And I love to beat around the bush. And so... Where we first meet these characters is in obviously book one or season one, and we see Sir Jamie, the Kingslayer, in book one. And I'm just curious, like as you encountered Jamie across the novels, what was your impression of early Jamie, or what were some things you feel like characterize him, or that he is known for?
0: Obviously, one of the very first uh, things you see him engaged in is. You know, his incestual relationship with his sister, and then then you see the whole uh, things I do for love, uh, flinging of brand, and so on. But really, uh, for the entirety of book one, I mean, that sets it up high, uh, of course, as far – or maybe I should say low for his bar. And and I think he just kind of hits that single note for all of book one, this kind of archetypal uh, alpha male – sarcastic uh, douchebag,
1: to put it. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's kind wow. of a a political pariah. People believe of him, you know, Kingslayer, Oathbreaker, and he's almost like he's doing his best to live up to that term. You know, as you put it, the the incest, the Bran out the window thing. I feel like now by book five, people like to sweep that under the rug, but those are like uh, I think so. big deal things, you know? It's like, no, Jamie's not so bad. You know, he's buddies with Brienne. It's like, dude, he threw a kid out the window. (laughs) Right. This isn't a a whole turnaround. But yeah, low moral character. In terms of like competency, I wish that we had seen a bit more from Jamie on page or on screen in terms of his prowess, you know? I believe, and I didn't do a ton of research, so all statements are approximate, but we only really see him fight when uh, he's dueling Braun after he's lost his hand or he loses the battle in the Whispering Wood. I was
0: trying to remember how much of the Whispering Wood battle.
1: It's completely off page. I mean, it's like they go in battle, and then they show up, and he's in chains. And so there are some testimonials after the fact of him cutting through the ranks to try to hack down Rob, and that's where he kills uh, Karstark's sons or nephews. Mm -hmm. So I think it's accepted fact or canon, if you will, that he is a great warrior. But in terms of winning a tournament or some sort of pitched battle, mano a mano with someone which i always thought meant man to man but it's hand to hand so there's a little oh, really? lesson for everybody yeah never knew
0: that um but yeah there there's other parts in the books where they talk about his prowess frequently and i i would have to really do some some more digging and i didn't specifically note uh instances but i i'm pretty certain that uh he had had done well in a great number of, of tournaments and such because i think that had a hand in how he was was recognized and named to the Kingsguard. Obviously, there's the aspect of, of the Mad Kings wanting to snub Tywin as well, but I think he was, it was kind of legitimized because Jamie was already known for his prowess.
1: Sure. I mean, you have to have the base level of competency. Right to get into the King's Guard, and then the political imaginations come into play. So, so I certainly don't think that's in doubt. But I wish we had a bit more data to know, was he better than Barriston.
0: It's it's hard to say. When you when you look at Barristan, you've got also records of uh, a lot of his accomplishments and, and his turning performance and the like. And it, you've got the episode that I, I did look into a little bit that I guess is only described clearly – in the world of Ice and Fire book, where uh, when the Mad King was taken hostage sometime before Robert's Rebellion, I forget the name of the family that... Uh, Is it the clause <sighs> okay.
1: It's over in their area. Yeah,
0: and, and Barristan actually like scaled the walls, basically snuck in, and got the king out single-handedly.
1: Mm-hmm. Earning himself the nickname, The Bold.
0: Right, right. I feel like in some ways we have a little better record of of Barristan's prowess, but I don't think we have anything that concretely uh, pit the two of them against each other.
1: No, uh, the one... The closest I feel like the books come to making that direct comparison for us is actually right after Barristan's dismissed from the Kingsguard. And Jamie goes into the white book and he sees how thick and how full and how heavy Barristan's pages are. And of Jamie there's almost nothing. And that's, a, I feel like, a, a moment in Jamie's character where he looks in the mirror and kind of realizes, like, you can write your own story. You know, you're not defined by the past, I feel like, is what the narrative purposes there. But at the same time, we can also say Berriston's career has just been better than Jamie's in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, I think so. It's well it's kind of interesting in a lot of ways when we when we hit those two characters, I feel like we're kind of kind of looking at them. Berriston at like the in some ways the high point of his career, right? He's he's had the time to build this reputation. He's the the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. Jamie, while in the Kingsguard and with a fairly built reputation, it's a very different, a, a, an infamous as opposed to renowned uh, sort of thing. And their kind of moral character as well uh, is kind of out at those extremes. But I, I would argue as as we see the books move forward, and then if we kind of delve into some theory territory after after that, oh, and I that sure we're seeing that. that we're seeing the two of them kind of cross paths uh, and Jamie's rising up. I feel like Berriston has moved down into the middle. And I'm wondering if we're going to see this full reversal by the end of the series where where Barristan is, has ended where Jamie began and Jamie ends where Barristan began.
1: Now, it's interesting. I feel like I was hinting at a little bit of this type of framing, but one of the things I think is so interesting about the Song of Ice and Fire in general is the way that Martin is kind of asking questions of ethics or morals or what makes a person good or a hero, the conception between... well, a good like case in point, I guess, is Ned Stark is in the dungeon and, and Littlefinger comes and he says, you think your honor is armor, you wear it like a shield, but it weighs you down and it makes you heavy. You know, mm-hmm. For Ned, things are always so clear and black and white, and that's why he was so easily quick to condemn Jamie for killing the king he had sworn to protect, because in Ned's worldview, of course, duty and honor are paramount. And I feel like that's a bit more Barristan-y, if we can say that. That Barristan values honor and loyalty and so on. Oh, maybe. How exactly that maps onto the fact that he served Robert after the Mad King is a little. You can either take that as loyal because it's the king, or disloyal to House Targaryen. But uh, I feel like he's much more Ned Starky in his character. Oh, I agree, and and I think that there
0: is that that clear parallel. And, and Barristan brings it up, you know, many times in the novels about like his oath and his oath is to the king as well. That, I don't know, I guess he kind of, he kind of prioritizes his oaths, right? And And his oath to protect the king is at the top of that list, no matter what. And, and you hear things where he's uncertain where he's doubting a little bit but still comes down to that like you you look at the the mad king raping his wife and barristan is is outside guarding them and I'm trying to remember now who's who he was talking to i think it may have been the the lord commander at the time which i forget the name of as well but regardless the, the exchange at that mm-hmm. time no i don't believe he was the lord commander um, I want to say it was someone out of Dorne. Well, sorry, someone else. Out I was of like – Because I guess the <laughs> – I guess uh, Sir Arthur Dane was. No. Ah, uh, shoot. That That's going down quite a rabbit hole if I spend the time here to go to go look at it up, yeah. uh, to
1: get the specific – And name. you may be right, yeah. Just somebody who's teaching Barristan about the value of duty and oath-keeping and that we yeah. guard the king and we don't judge the king. We just guard the king.
0: Right, right, because Barristan kind of kind of brings up like, "Hey, should we should we do something? We're sworn to protect her too." And you know, the answer he gets is, "But not from her, or sorry, from him." Said that wrong, which kind of like establishes this whole like, "The king comes first; all other oaths are second to that," uh, or possibly in descending order past second. So I just I, – I thought that was interesting because you wind up with Barristan later kind of ruminating and wondering like, hey, if he hadn't uh, rescued Aegon the Mad, what might have happened? If he had died in captivity and Rhaegar ascended the throne, who by all accounts, mainly Barristan's, but also people like John Connington's, like Rhaegar was – the, the kind of perfect chivalrous example of what a, a prince and king should be, you know, and, and all the things that the mad king did after that, they they weigh on Barristan and he witnessed many of them, so it's it's interesting to me.
1: Yeah, as did Jamie. Notably the burning of the Starks in the throne room there. Yeah, and so right. this is the juxtaposition. Is loyalty in your oath good or in Jamie's case, what defines him, at least for the first half of the series of course, being his disloyalty and his oath breaking,
0: or did he break an oath? I mean, at like he famously says, "So many oaths they make you swear and swear and swear," and then he lists them, and I don't have the quote mm-hmm. in front of me.
1: But protect the king protect the people, but what if the king is against the people? You know, it's kind of a short version of that circle.
0: Yeah, basically, what it boils down to, you have, you have Barristan looking back in in regret, I think, and feeling a, a very intense kind of personal shame about his decision to put the king's – his oath to protect the king first and thus saving him. And then all of these people died and these terrible things happened because of the king. And Jamie, who did the reverse and put his oath to protect the people first, as far as we know – really honestly feels very little personal shame about it, but to like the the wider outside world is reviled. And I just I find that that inversion between the two of them in their oaths and how they themselves and society view the view
1: what they did really interesting. Yeah, and so now so pre-book Jamie kills the Mad King so that the city the king ruled would not go up in flames. And Book 5, Barristan throws off his oath and, you know, the by-the-book nature and gets into the Game of Thrones. And what's the result? A city in flames. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of that is intentional for Martin that just, I don't know, the dragons are burning it down. That's one of my favorite things in Book 5. Yeah. Where, you know, the dragons are out and just everything is on fire. It's
0: interesting. It, it's hard for me to say... Uh... For for dead certain, but, uh, you know, that I think kind of leads into some of the theorizing about the future, which is what this article I I initially read that sparked this uh, was was talking about was basically the the theory that eventually Barristan is going to be uh, one of Danny's three betrayals and that, uh, you you know, essentially lined out that he's kind of haunted all the time by his oaths and how the people that he has been sworn to have let him down, right? And and how his actions have made him complicit in their failures, not only the Mad King, but also Robert and now potentially Danny and kind of how when he first showed up, he, he had this hope for Danny as, as kind of the perfect ruler, but that her character is changing and potentially not living up to that ideal, and especially the what he kind of the regard he held Rhaegar in. And now the question is, what happens if he gets word about this new young Griff? You might say this other potential heir to the throne, whose claim is better than Danny's, if he is truly a dragon. And you know, does he uh, turn his back on her in favor of? of Aegon the Youngest, perhaps I should say. I forget what number he is.
1: <laughs> Who knows? Probably 9,999. Yeah. And that's why I like to just call him Young Griff. Exactly. Because I can remember. remember. But, I don't know, that is an interesting question. It, it seems almost like, through the first part of like books three and four and first half of five, that... As Barristan regrets the oaths, he finds in Danny someone worth serving and someone worth being the object of those oaths. So I would be against that article, I think, in general. Although you looked out for the spoiler, guys, you didn't look out for me and send me this article. So I'm speculative here now. That's fair. I
0: should have sent that to you.
1: I probably wouldn't have read it anyway. So, And then that's on me. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> I kind of felt like the, the, the narrative purpose there is to show that Danny really is like a ruler worth serving, and if you but if you get into the theory of Dance with Dragons and kind of some of the literary analysis behind it, they are trying to make a pretty good claim that Daenerys' character is changing. That peace makes her unhappy. That ruling the people makes her feel weak. That uh, you know, kind of the ceasefire she saw in Marine is just dissatisfying. And I feel like Martin has just really engendered that into our hearts with our dissatisfaction with book five is what Danny feels. <laughs> and she sits. Now there that rules. not a theory. <laughs> no, that's confirmed, you know, <laughs> confirmed. Oh, no, I actually oh, like book five and it rewards, uh, rewards rereading, I think. And, and, and in those rereads, you can kind of see her arc at she likes the fire and the blood and, you know that's why she's drawn to drogon the most violent and wild of her dragons and she's going to be set free and unleashed and show danny i think shows this to us a bit more clearly let us not speak about show sir barristan going down like a chump in a sewer yeah it just made me so sad it was it was just kind of a just a waste it was a waste because barristan is a great character he's a great foil like we're talking about for jamie and danny both and even for Grey Worm and like a a bridge between East and West. And then it's just, just wasted for like a cheap death.
0: Yeah. Here's a, here's a question to skip away from the the cheap death because you're talking about Dan and you're talking about her growing distaste for actual rulership uh, and her growing affinity for fire and blood, as you might say. And, and as her kind of, uh, hallucination, Jora tells her, uh, what is it, a, a dragon plants no trees? Is Danny potentially descending into Targaryen madness? Because if anybody would be able to kind of witness and judge that, it would probably be Berristin who watched you know, her
1: grandfather. And who even brings that up as he, you know, in his uh Arston Whitebeard kind of persona, mm-hmm. I watched you when a Targaryen is born, the gods flip a coin and we will look to see if it lands heads or tails. You know, they're the best of us, yeah. the regars, and they're the worst of us, the Mad Kings. And I will not utter a negative word about Daenerys on your podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's my oath, Will. But also I don't know, I, I I have a difficult time seeing Danny in a true mad queen kind of a sense, in the same way her father was mad. I've seen her in a more like ruthless sense, in the same way you might see Caldrogo violently achieving his ends and his greatness, and whether or not that's great moral character, I don't think it's equated with madness and just straight cruelty. Even what cruelty Daenerys displays, I think, is in the it seems to be to good ends. I mean, so, potentially talk about these things, you know, they're very complicated. Yeah,
0: it, I mean, it, it does depend kind of on what your standards are for that sort of thing. Uh, how much uh, retaliation is fair when you're crucifying good masters
1: and no, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah. Retributive justice is a, is a very interesting topic and why I like, as we are saying, these epics, they, they ask you to think these questions and, it all depends on what room you're standing in. You know, if you're a great master, that seems like overkill, you know. And if you're one of the slaves, it certainly doesn't. Was it right? Was it good? Was it just? Did it serve the right end? Did it serve the people? And so I feel like the only one who has the best handle on these things, of course, is Varus. that sees that it's always the <laughs> people that suffer when the rich play yeah. their games of thrones. So. You
0: know... It's funny uh because that I think brings it back around to kind of the the central thing that uh, I wanted to hit on here in talking between these two main characters we're talking about, not main in the book sense but main for our discussion, and that is who is actually the more heroic figure where we are at this point uh in the in the novels. And I would strongly argue that by by this point, now that we know how Jamie got his his Kingslayer nickname and the story behind that, that Jamie is actually far more heroic for being uh, willing, e- even if he didn't quite grasp how long this would stick with him at the time, though I imagine he did, you know, for being willing to to take the uh, approbation of the realm in order to save how, how many people live in King's Landing? I know it's been mentioned in the books at some point. Do you yeah, know, I 80, mean, it's the biggest city something? in the world,
1: probably, right? I mean, yeah. untold, untold yeah. numbers, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, he, I think, broke an oath to keep an oath to the greatest number of people he could. Barristan
1: took the opposite uh, to root there. And so I think I've, I've got to give the edge to Jamie. I think if you want to be behind a guy who gives a King's Guard an intrigue icon and renown when attacking alone, go for it. I'm not going to be behind that guy. Wow. <laughs> nobody will. <laughs> no, nobody will, but you just tried. You tried your best. I see Jamie as more heroic than Barriston, probably only in terms of arc and direction, and even in terms of his internal monologue and taking choices more based on who he wants to be and serving a wider sense of justice. Not just justice for the Lannisters, but justice for people like Caitlin Stark in Returning Her Daughters. Whereas Cersei's just about the Lannisters and just about us. I think Barristan is probably more heroic. Well, I don't know. Now you've caught me in a trap.
0: Yeah, see, it's tricky, because when you start, especially the line you started down with Jamie, looking at this wider scope of justice, well, now then you have to paint Barristan as being, frankly,
1: selfish. Well, I think if we're going to give Barristan the full benefit of the doubt, and let's just go ahead and do that, I think he's serving the Targaryens not just because it's legally right, but because he feels like the Targaryen kingship is the best the realm could have. And in that sense, seeing the monarchy as a blessing to the realm, and rather than just some great house climbing on top of the pile. I think that's what he thought Rhaegar could be, you know, a true monarch that, that w- prospered the realm. And I think he sees Danny through those same lenses. That would be the, the most favorable view of Barristan and kind of what I've always held. His black marks would be, of course, serving Robert, serving Joffrey, only coming to Danny when he's dismissed as unfit to serve by reason of old age. So it's not any choice he made internally or extrinsically, or excuse me, it was made extrinsically for him. And then it's kind of like, well, I'm unemployed. I'll go and serve Danny. So in that sense, he's kind of getting better. He's he's serving his oath to a better end. He finds a better referent for his loyalty, and he hopes that, I don't know, it's perhaps, I mean, it's unspoken, but I think... I've always taken Barrison's character to be about something bigger than himself. Not necessarily about the common man, but at least about loyalty, justice, greatness, albeit in a very, like, masculinized sense. I don't know. I don't know. Where's Daryl? He, he probably yeah. knows. <laughs> uh, Daryl would just declare something
0: and then say it's time to retire to the bar for drinks.
1: And sometimes but I think, she can
0: do. Yeah, I, th- I think that may be what we have to do on this particular topic. I mean, I think, I think it's a pretty rich topic with, uh, with a lot of ground to cover and a lot of interesting little, little side shoots, uh, that, that can be touched on like, like, uh, Danny potentially, uh, descending into madness and, and many others that I think we, we glossed over in our, in our rush here. But uh, yeah,
1: I know. I mean, it, well, maybe we'll continue this down the road. Although if we were to continue it, that would sully my record of appearing one time on as many Thrones podcasts as possible, but not twice.
0: So are you counting this then not as your second appearance because we were still titled Two Champs and a Chump when you were last on?
1: I don't fast forward through that intro part where you tell me that you have rebranded and rebranded just in time for the game <laughs> to do the same with its second edition. Yeah, so it's my first time on White Book, second time on 2C, 1C. But anyway, gotcha. if we have a minute here as we close, I'm just curious. Yeah. If you take both of Jamie's cards and both of Barristan's cards, 2.0, which would you say is the stronger and which is the strongest of the four? Oof. I think the, the
0: stronger aggregate I'm gonna pick Barriston. I think both of the both of his copies have a very solid place, and in particular, I really like the targ one. Whereas Jamie, I think the two cards skew much harder to the ends of the scale. So if I were to pick one out of the four that I think is the best, it's probably that
1: core set Jamie. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I really like. How each of the representations also brings an aspect of their character forward, with Barristan Uh standing to save a Lord or Lady, I mean, really is reminiscent of that Kingsguard self. I think that's awesome. Barristan, you know, challenging two, three, four, five times a phase, perhaps in melee, I think is awesome. Now, looking and at, and we that, know
0: he won a melee. Uh, that's one of the tournaments he won. I do remember that much.
1: Yeah, and uh, that—that's the Lanny Boxer Barristan, isn't it, or is it out of the Stark Box? I can't remember. Uh, I think it's the Lanny Box I one. Think Lanny. Where if you win a challenge with fewer cards in hand than that opponent, he'll stand. Right. I'm just dreaming for a way to give him renown, but until that day comes, um, it makes me miss also other things from first ed. Like, uh, do you remember the attachment, Harpy's Scourge? where you could discard a card from your hand to increase a character's strength and reduce another character's strength. It was great. Oh, yes. And then the first dead Barristan out of the attorney for the hand pack where he discarded a card to give somebody minus two strength, killed if zero, like all of those effects. And then this Barristan kind of gives me a window of hope into a soon to happen theme for Targ where you kind of burn through cards heavily for like powerful effects. Okay. Uh you and I both play a little bit of the Lord of the Rings LCG, which is a great game, and they have a, a trait to the Noldor Elves that discards cards from hand for a benefit. And I'd love to see something oh, like yeah. that in Thrones because I've been playing Noldor Elves lately in my Lord oh, of the Rings iteration. Cool. And so I, I think that that would be an awesome support for Barristan, but who knows? I I just can't see a world in which the Kingsguard Jamie ever becomes good because Corset Jamie is almost strictly better, right? Yeah,
0: you need such a, like, I think very good on their own, I mean, very good supporting cast of Kingsguard to even make that Jamie worthwhile. And in that point, like, it's probably just still better to play the core Jamie instead, along with regular Kingsguard.
1: Because if you want renown and challenge wins, why don't you want renown and non kneeling challenger? Exactly. Okay. I, I kind of wish they had made the other Jamie neutral, although I was yes. a bit ambivalent on the choice of the latest First Dead Jamie, the Shadows Jamie, who was a fantastic card. But
0: Oh, yes. I very much loved that
1: one. I know. We don't want to bore your, your many, 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 many 2.0 only listeners. Indeed. But, so in a fight, Jamie in his prime, Barristan in his prime, who's coming away alive? Oof. Prime for both.
0: Oh, that's tough. That is really tough. I think this is probably going to shock listeners, but I think I probably give it to Barriston. Uh, I think we just have more hard proof uh, of his prowess. I'm going to go ahead and uh, agree. Confirmed. Yeah. Everyone thought I was going to defend Jamie. And don't get me wrong. I, I, I love him, but we just don't quite have the same. Same sort of thing. You know, he wasn't out there fighting, was it, Melees the Monstrous of the, the War of the Nine, Penny Kings, and, and single-handedly rescuing the king and winning melees and in tournaments into his 50s, I think.
1: Yeah. I remember right. He was standing around in some hallways. Yeah. What about right now? 90-year-old Barristan versus one-hand Jamie. Again, all figures are approximate. <laughs> uh,
0: I think I actually I actually probably still give that to, to Barriston. I, I think we witnessed Jamie having some real difficulties trying to fight with his left hand.
1: Yeah, not, not good. And we do see Barristan in Book 5, albeit fully armored against an unarmored, highly trained opponent, still getting it done. Yeah, Um, And then some of the spoiler chapters, I don't know if you follow the unreleased chapters. This is like yet another layer of spoiler, but we'll see Barristan in action again. And I'm excited to see how well he comes through that battle, if at all, in the print version, assuming that the print version exists. So I know we're running short of time. Let us close with this fun fact. I began my PhD the same year that Winds of Winter was announced and Dance with Dragons came out whatever that year, 2012, I am now done with my PhD. I had to petition for extra time to finish my PhD. Martin oh. still isn't done. What's the problem? That's amazing. That, that just,
0: I think, really puts it in a fresh perspective uh, for folks. <laughs> you, you've completed a PhD while we wait on the next book. Wow. Well, there we go. Yeah, I think uh, that was that was a lovely note to leave that on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Will. Always great to connect. I miss being closer to you, playing some tournaments. So hopefully in the near future, we can play through one of the online portals. Or you can make your way to Kublai Khan, Memorial Day weekend, San Francisco, Airport Hyatt Regency, one of the biggest tournaments on the West Coast. And I plan to be there, believe it or not.
0: I I wish I could. Uh, I need to still see the final uh, regional schedule. That would be lovely to know. By the way, FFG, uh, because the Missouri regional is traditionally on Memorial Day weekend. So just bring them all out here. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. I know the window's a little different this year, but uh, if I remember right, that would still hit it. So well thank you thank you very much for joining us and we'll see if we can work that out in the future hey guys will here at the white boat just taking a quick moment to remind you all about the evergreen tabletop expo 2017 which you may know is hosting the game of thrones and android netrunner nationals this year so this is the third year for uh, ETX and it is scheduled for June 3rd and 4th, along with a free game night on Friday the 2nd uh, that has no badge requirements. So this is going to be uh, downtown Seattle this year, under the shadow, so to speak, of the Space Needle. Uh, and there's going to be side events during the weekend, uh, including a Thrones team event that sounds cool on Friday night, and a draft, one of my favorite formats, on Sunday. Uh, It's also going to be the first opportunity to play games like Rune Wars, uh, miniature game, uh, in an actual tournament setting, and there's going to be several Star Wars Destiny tournaments also. Many of your favorite publishers and designers are going to be in attendance showing off their latest games. It's also the host of the Lucy Indie Game Design Award, uh, which, by the way, the submission window is still open. Finalists uh, are going to be judged on a live show by professional game designers like James Earns, Paul Peterson, and Mike Elliott. So weekend badges are $50 for the whole weekend and include entry into the Nationals tournaments. So uh, it's going to be a good time. If you can't attend, be sure to check out uh, the live streams uh, during the weekend that they're going to have, I believe, through Twitch. So there you have it. Okay guys, uh, the episode this week is going to be just a little bit different. We had uh, not only personnel difficulties, but technical difficulties to boot. So uh, it's probably going to be a little shorter than usual episode, but we wanted to make sure we got something out. So uh, welcome to episode 285 of The White Book. I'm your usual host, Will, sometimes known as Kenan, and uh, joining me this week... Uh, I have Mr. Alex B. I don't know if you mind your last name.
2: Oh, yeah, you can, use, you can use the last name. It's fine.
0: Okay, okay. Alex Black, then. Uh, I know some folks are picky about uh, names online, so I try to be
2: careful. <laughs> Mine's pretty common, so if there's uh, anybody out there looking for me, they're probably going to have a tough time wading through all the other Alex Blacks out there.
0: Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Nice <laughs> and common like that well um so thanks for coming on, like I said and uh, I think maybe uh there's not a a ton of folks in the in the wider community maybe that are that are as familiar with uh, with you as uh they should be coming up because uh well well we'll we'll get there but uh why don't why don't you give us a little bit of an idea of how how long you've been in Game of Thrones? Kind of how you got
2: got into it and that sort of thing. Sure, yeah, no problem. Um, so yeah, I've been playing Thrones, uh, well, two since uh, since the reboot. I I had been introduced to Thrones first edition and fell in love with it and started buying a few of the of the the box expansions uh, for various houses. And then pretty much right after that, they announced the reboot. So I was pretty heartbroken Ooh. by that. Yeah, But I, you know, I, I eagerly awaited the, the reboot and, uh, I've been playing ever since. Um, yeah, I went, so basically, you know, this being my first year in Thrones, um, I went to Worlds for the first time this year, had a really awesome time there, met a lot of great people, um, had a pretty good time. How'd job. you do? Uh, I got 20th, so I was a bubble boy. Nice. Um. Yeah, I, I I had the record to make the cut, but I didn't have the strength of schedule. So you know, oh. in, in that c- scenario, I feel like I've done everything I can do. You know, and uh, yeah. the rest was left to the to the gods, so to speak. So, but yeah, no, it was a, it was a good run.
0: With <laughs> <at seven> <laughs> Drowned god or the old gods, Relore, Who are we talking here?
2: Uh, I guess the faceless god, perhaps. Ooh, well done. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah no I think more importantly though I had a great time meeting a lot of people in the Thrones community who I, I'm a pretty big nerd. so when I got into Thrones I did a lot of I did a lot of digging I watched a lot of the old 1.0 uh, worlds coverage and, and, and sort of and so I had a good time meeting some of the people who I'd seen play and people like Ryan Jones, uh, Seth Lowe, um, a lot of the California guys and uh, yeah I just had a good time altogether and really sort of stoked the flames as far as my passion for the game is concerned um yeah and before that you know just just a pretty uh standard run of thrones tournaments did pretty well at a regional uh won that uh won the last etx so it's nationals now but i'll be i'll be the reigning etx champion when when that comes around this june Uh, and i am excited that we we do get a chance to host nationals this year um, and I know that's sort of one of the reasons why I'm here talking to you so um, but yeah, yeah. Of Thrones is a great game, super excited about it. We're really happy to have have things coming out our way on the west coast and so yeah
0: yeah, uh, I'm excited for it uh, too. I know the the folks uh, kind of helping spearhead Thrones events there uh, your, yourself and Patrick, particularly Patrick talks to me frequently about his excitement uh, for for this event so uh, I think it it's gonna go pretty well if nothing else than, than based on kind of the devotion that the folks uh, organizing it have going into things I know that that sounds like I'm just shilling for it uh, but but seriously i I think it makes a real difference when organizers have a passion for what they're doing rather than just putting on an event to you know, turn a
2: profit from it. So. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, no. And Patrick has put a lot of time and effort into ETX and, um, and he's very, I mean, passion, passionate is a great way to describe it. He's very passionate about it and uh, very excited, obviously, as you know, about making sure that it's just, you know, overall a great experience for everyone who does decide to attend. And I think he's, really looking forward to the opportunity to, you know, try and show what what he can do for the community on, on a larger scale. I can say for a fact uh, that the regional experience I had at ETX last year was, was superb. Um, there was a viewing area in the center of the convention center that we had He had rented out for us to play in, and uh, it was like a raised platform, and in the center there were multiple games going on. I know there was like Settlers of Catan, States, and then he had Netrunner and Thrones, and a few other events, X-Wing, things of this nature, and and it was just really, it felt like a really professional experience, Um, and everyone that I talked to had a really great time. And so yeah, I know that he was excited to sort of be able to showcase all of his efforts um, on a national level this year. And we're we're excited as well out here on the West Coast. So, so what
0: exactly uh, hand do you have uh, in things? I mean, I know a little bit already, but sure. T- tell the listeners what you're heading up.
2: Yeah, well, I've had this idea for uh for for quite a while. Uh, basically, to give some context, I'm I come from a magic background. I played a lot of Magic in the past, and one of the formats that I love in Magic is, is what's called, it's known as a team unified format. And basically, I've had this idea to try and hold a Thrones variant of this for a while, and it just was a perfect opportunity, basically, when Patrick came to me and told me, he said, excitedly, you know, oh, we're going to get Nationals this year. And it kind of struck me like, and, and I asked him later, you know, would were you looking to run a side event? You know, the day before or the day after? I have something in mind, and sure enough, he 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 was looking for for something cool. Um, we we had done a melee uh, last year at regionals uh, the day before, and you know, while it was a fun experience, I think that people um, people's experience with melee and 2.0 has been somewhat. You know, different. I guess you could say than the 1.0 experience, and so he wasn't super excited uh, by the prospect of having another melee tournament. And I was presenting this idea to have a unified team tournament, and so I'll kind of explain what that is in a second here. But but Patrick uh, was all for it. Um, He really liked the idea and has basically given me uh, the reins, so to speak, in uh, in in getting the tournament organized and run um, on the Friday before before nationals. So. Um, yeah, so basically the unified format is a three person team format. so three players Ooh. per team. And the rules uh, of the format, I think that there's a uh, the deck building rules are some of the most unique, I think, uh, or what makes the format unique. So basically the three players that are on a team will have only a single play set of cards to build all three of their decks other than Rose Roads and King's Roads. We've kind of determined... I've got a buddy of mine here in Seattle. His name is Zach Dakota. Shout out to Zach. He's helping me sort of organize the tournament um, and run the tournament when it comes to that. And uh, we we, decided, we determined people need their economy, right? So we didn't want to limit the King's Roads and the Rose Roads from people. They filled their three decks with one play set of cards. So, And cards that are limited to one of in a deck would be limited to one of for the whole team, if that makes any sense. Um, So plots that includes plots, crown of gold. If we have anything else that's printed before nationals of that ilk. So, yeah. And there's been a really awesome uh, reception to this idea um, by the community in general. I think people are really uh, intrigued by the format idea. Um, You know, I think it'll, it'll lead to, you could just have a three team, you know, three player team tournament. And I think it would be, it would be fun but I think this will lead to some unique deck-building choices, I and mean, at least lead to some, you know, perhaps interesting games uh, going forward. So so that's basically the rough rules of the, of the, the deck-building. There's not really much else to the deck-building. Um, so basically, you're going to sit down against another three-player team, and you're each going to play a game... Against one of the players on their team, and then whoever wins the best of those three games wins the overall match, so to speak, and and would receive you know the five points for a win, uh, etc. Okay,
0: so you're you're looking at basically turning each round into
2: a uh, a best two out of three sort of thing, and just totaling the team's yeah, victories. Yeah, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, and you'd play at the same time. Um, and one of the cool rules about uh, the unified format is that you can talk to your teammates as you play. You know, you might have a tough decision uh, for your mulligan, so you can lean over to your teammate to the left of you and say, "Hey, would you keep this?" Or you know, maybe a tough decision um, in in you know marshaling or combat or something like that. And so, and and when maybe if you finish your game, you can then you know help out your other teammate. Um, we, we we still are going to have. Uh, we, we're undetermined on the length of rounds, but it's definitely still going to be between. It's going to be, you know, at a minimum fifty-five minutes, maybe at a maximum sixty. But you know, so just so you're just even though even though you're allowed to, you know, table talk talk with your teammates and whatnot, we don't want to extend the rounds too long, obviously. But we think that's another cool aspect of the team tournament as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, some teams might have a newer player or a less experienced player, and then that way you can kind of help them out as well if they've got a few different. Uh, difficult choices to make in their games. So
0: uh, out of curiosity, actually a couple of questions about the structure, but of course communication yeah, yeah, no there problem. has me wondering what's the stance on non-verbal communication. I can, I could see teammates maybe wanting to ask, you know, especially if it's say that somewhat less experienced player wanting to ask, you know, their teammate, if this is the best play or advantageous, mm-hmm but not give away a card in their hand to the person across the table if they say it out loud or something.
2: Right. Well, then that's kind of the game that you have to play, right? You have to decide how much information you're really willing to give up to your opponents in order to perhaps determine the best line uh, or the best, uh, uh, you know, play that you can make in the moment. So sometimes it doesn't matter if your opponent knows what you have. You know what I mean in that moment. Uh, but it's definitely going to be up to the team's discretion um, on how they go about that. We, 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 I think, we'll encourage players not to leave the table at all um, to discuss these things. And if you you, know, you want to whisper in your your teammates' ear, we don't have any problems with that. So
0: texting or or bringing a notepad
2: <laughs> uh yeah i mean we're, we're still sticking to the rules of ffg uh, uh you know ffg op rules so no use of writing anything down or, or anything okay. like that or phones or anything weird like that um so yeah no but mostly you know if you if you can say it soft enough that your opponents can't hear you then we're all good <laughs>
0: Okay, good
2: to have that out of the way up front. I, I know
0: there are some folks that would uh, like to push the the boundary on that sort
2: of thing. Of course, yeah. And at the end of the day, we do, you know, we do want folks to remember it's going to be a competitive, a competitive environment. It's going to be the day before nationals, but it's also meant to be a fun event. You know what I mean? Um, I think right. again to Thrones War, it's going to be a lot of high level players playing, but playing, you know, in a nice, uh, relaxed and fun environment. So.
0: So the for the pairings and, and the structure, is it uh, mm-hmm. standard like Swiss to, to cut format that we're used to yeah, for so, FFG events?
2: Yeah, so we're, um, we're still sort of hammering out the finer details regarding uh, when exactly we can start. We're shooting right now for 5 o'clock or 5.30 start time, uh, that Pacific time. And uh, we don't want to push too late into the evening what with Nationals being the next day. So um unless our numbers get outrageous we're thinking uh four rounds of swiss and a cut to the top 4 teams. Uh if our numbers are lower than what would uh we what we would want for top a top 4 cut, we would maybe just cut to the top 2. Um so we're still working out the details on that, but we're definitely going to have prize support f- For everybody, but extra support for the top four teams. I know we're going to be getting uh, playmats designed from uh, Tristan, who's doing the playmats for Nationals. Um, And those are going to be different from the Nationals ones, uh, specific to the team tournament. And I I wanted to go into a bit of the prize support um, as well, if we've got time for that. uh, Oh, certainly. But uh, yeah, and then, so Swiss rounds, we're thinking four rounds. And then two more rounds at most for the teams in the finals. So... We're hoping that that works for everyone. We're like I said, that's not finalized. Um, we want to make sure that everyone has plenty of time to get rest for the next day. But we think we, we we'd like to think people, you know, are going to want a cut. Um, I feel like usually the general consensus is that people like cuts. People like a final. So we don't want to just end the event with just the Swiss rounds and then you know hand the trophy off to whoever wins the Swiss. That doesn't seem as exciting. So we're, we're trying to work it out, a scenario where we can do a cut, but at the same time, we are limited somewhat in when we can get into the venue. And also we know people are going to be traveling a lot on Friday and we don't want people to miss the event if we started it at say like noon or something like that on Friday. So we've kind of settled on starting around five, we're going to probably do four rounds of Swiss and then a cut to either four or two, depending on our turnout. So...
0: Okay, that sounds good. So you did uh, say you had some other uh, things you wanted to address with the prize support? I mean, the custom playmats already
2: sounds yeah, cool. Yeah, we're going all out with this one. So we're going to be getting some art commissioned. We're actually in the process of working with the artist right now, um, and we'll be doing an alt art card of something that I can say, having looked at the uh, the recent big tournament for alt art cards, I haven't seen this card printed as an alt art yet. And not only, and it's going to be a door prize. So anybody that enters the event will be getting this. And we're not only giving out one, but we're just going to give out a playset of each of the cards. Because I feel a lot like a lot of the times, that's one of the problems with alt arts is you end up, especially if it's not a plot, you get one and then you're stuck playing one with the other two regular oh, arts. So we figured we'd just yeah. give away a full playset that the way people can just use three. And I think it is a card. Nice. I can say without saying what it is, I can say it's a card you're going to want three of. So. So that's going to be a door prize, along with we're doing unique uh, faction cards. So we'll be giving out a play set, or not a, a one of each of the faction cards, each eight of the factions, plus the play set of the specific card we're getting uh, commissioned. Uh, so those will be entry prizes. And then we're going to do the playmats for the top four teams. So that's for the top 12 players. And then we also... Uh, we came up with the idea of doing a raffle for some of the prizes. Um, so basically, what we're going to do is we're ordering a bunch of broken egg stuff, and when you get when you enter the tournament, we're going to give you a raffle card, and basically you can go and put your raffle ticket into whichever item you want the most. So say you might already have the broken egg coins, or you might already have the broken egg power tokens, but you really want you know the icons. Or the the first hand, you know, the the first player hand of the king token, or something. You can go and put your raffle ticket in in that, and then you'll have a chance at winning that. And we'll be raffling those out sort of periodically throughout the tournament. And uh, we've got one other exciting thing. It's become really popular. Uh, perhaps it's always been this way, but I've noticed its rise in popularity. Um, and it was uh, something that ryan jones used at thrones war which i really liked which i went to this year by the way and shout out to ryan he's awesome and he ran a great tournament down there in san diego and i suggest everybody go next year if they can but uh, we're going to be doing bounty prizes each round um and what we're going to do for those is we're going to be getting alt arts from around, around the nation so basically um we were talking to different people around the country who make who've been making alt arts for their for their meta And we're going to be getting alt arts from different places, and we're going to be using those as bounty prizes during the Swiss rounds. So I can say already I've talked to the people in Indy. Chris Thompson's going to come through with uh, some cards for us for bounty prizes and also Matt Edelman down in Portland. And so, yeah, we're looking for a couple more people to to come up and, and help us out with those. We're obviously willing to pay for printing and shipping and stuff like that, but we just think it'd be really cool to have some alt arts from other places in the country since it's nationals weekend. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people have been really excited about some of the alt arts that have been floating around.
0: Yeah. Well, I would, uh, I would say two things. Well, no, three things to that. I just added this first one. Number one is that that's awesome. I do like that idea. Number two, Hopefully, this is a good medium to uh, to get that out there for folks to maybe reach out to you if uh, they've got some some alt arts that they would like to use for this prize project. And three, I would uh, I'd love to get some of the uh, white book tokens into uh, into that bounty stuff. If you guys are willing to
2: branch out a, a little outside of strict alt art stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're not confined to altar cards or anything like that. We just think it'd be cool to have prize support from, you know, around the country as far as the the, bounty, uh, the bounties go. So, yeah, absolutely. And um, if people want to uh, support us in that effort, um, they can feel free to email me. Am I cool to just throw my email out there or is that something you'd... No, go right ahead. Cool. Yeah. Um, they can just email me. My email is Alex Lynn black at com, and that's a L E X L Y N N B L A C K at gmail.com. Maybe we can throw that in the, uh, in the info about the, the episode, if not, not a big yeah. deal, but uh, yeah, no, I think we can. So yeah, so no, we're, we're super excited about it. And I guess the last thing I'd like to mention about the tournament is we are looking to, we are looking to stream it with commentary Unfortunately, we are sort of trying to jump over some hurdles uh, regarding the internet connection and the uh, location that we're going to be using for the event. So worst case scenario, we'll be recording them, getting commentary on them, and putting them up probably in the next day or so after the event takes place. Um, best case scenario, we stream it live on Twitch as it happens. So,
0: I think that, uh, that sounds good. So I, I hope that it goes smoothly. I know there's always, uh, kind of some, buzz and and hubbub and demand, you might say from, from folks to have more, uh, streaming content for Thrones like that. So.
2: Yeah, I do. I do think that's one of the big things, um, that I know that Patrick uh, especially has been trying to support and get, uh, moving forward with the community, I think that, um, there's definitely a demand for, for more streaming content content out there um i know yeah. i eat it up whenever i can find it so we're excited to to provide that and just basically have a nice so even if you can't come out to nationals this weekend you know you're gonna have the team tournament that you're gonna be able to watch uh the the nationals jousting event is gonna be streamed as well um and that's and josh hyde does a really professional job at that and i'm really looking forward to see what he's got in store for us this year but um yeah we're we're definitely excited to to So other people can can see what's going on and they can get excited about it and uh, yeah so and I know from talking to some people um, that there are going to be a lot of people coming out to the event um, and some really elite top level players are planning and playing in the team tournament so I'm excited to hear uh, to hear about that and uh, hopefully there's people listening to the podcast that might be on the fence about coming to nationals and this you know helps push them over the edge to buy that ticket and get out here.
0: Yeah. Uh, hopefully so. I, I'm all for kind of, kind of propping that event and uh, trying to, to help you guys as best I can. Awesome. Well, yeah, this is definitely a great
2: help. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, thank, thank you for, uh, for your work on things. I hope it goes smoothly and, and thank you. I think all the more for uh, coming on the show this week to chat a little bit.
2: Not a problem, Uh, happy to do it
1: anytime.